0: Welcome to another episode of AI and You. I am your host, Mark McQuaid. So deep learning is all the rave these days in the world of AI, and rightfully so. It tries to mimic the workings of the human brain and uses artificial neural networks to accomplish this. Deep learning as a practice has actually been around for quite some time, dating back to the 1960s, but the term deep learning was coined much later. The reasons behind why deep learning has gained such popularity has mainly been the rise of GPUs, which specialize in performing multiple computations simultaneously, to mass amounts of data now available, as well as the supreme accuracy of deep learning models for tasks such as computer vision and natural language processing. One thing that often takes a backseat in the rise of deep learning, though, is the frameworks and libraries behind it. PyTorch specifically has picked up a lot of steam lately. PyTorch was developed primarily by the FAIR group, which is Facebook AI's research lab. And I love PyTorch personally for its approachability, uh, its ease of use, simplicity, along with its tight relationship with Python and similarities with NumPy. PyTorch also has a fantastic community. It used to be said that TensorFlow was used for production and PyTorch for dev and research. That's just no longer the case. Of course, Facebook is utilizing PyTorch, but so many other big players are utilizing PyTorch today to build and deploy production-ready deep learning. A few examples of that are Disney. They're using PyTorch to identify faces in cartoons in animated films. Microsoft is using PyTorch for its language modeling service. Airbnb is using conversational AI tools in PyTorch to enhance customer experience. And Tesla uses PyTorch behind its self-driving car technology. So clearly, you can see PyTorch isn't just for playing or research anymore, and in some cases, is taking the driver's seat in regards to deep learning frameworks and libraries. All right, on today's episode, we chatted with Randall Hunt, who is with Facebook AI, and specifically, he's on the PyTorch team. Randall was a long-time AWS evangelist and made the jump to Facebook AI last August. He has a wealth of experience in AI, as well as a huge following from not only the PyTorch community, but the AWS community with all his previous accolades over there. All right, I'm here with Randall Hunt. Uh, Randall is a developer advocate with Facebook AI. Thanks for joining us on AI and You today, Randall. Hey, how are you? Now, let me first start out saying, you know, it's it's a real honor for me to have you on today. You know, I was <laughs> I was a, a bright eyed cloud newbie, working in the uh, my shitty career in networking and, and voiceover IP, and you know, I was breaking into the big bad world of the cloud. And I'm doing all this on my own, not through my company. So I'm at work. I'm sneaking videos of you, your live coding on AWS sessions, you know, your Twitch streaming sessions that we're going back, got to be almost four years now, right? So, you know, it's a really an honor for me to have you on chatting with you today. You were doing a a ton of stuff back then with Lex, right? I, I love Lex as a service. So, and I'll never forget the... AI powered Twitter bot that you, uh, you built back then. And I was like, you know, so new to the game. I was, I was blown away really. Right. So, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah,
1: I, I definitely probably stole all of that. So (laughs) I, I'm not known for, I'm known for combining a bunch of different things in creative ways. I'm not especially known for coming up with anything original, but uh, thanks so much for watching the channel. That was, that was a big endeavor. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, you're out there. You were doing live coding on Twitch. You're getting thousands of people joining in, right? You were hitting celebrity status there for a while. So, uh, you know, I was following you very closely back then. And you're actually one of the one of the main reasons I I got into evangelism. So, you know, okay. I've come a long way since then, right? I really have. And I, I don't say that in a bragging way. I mean, like, I look back and I can't believe how far I've come. And, you know, I'm proud of how far I've come, the work I've put in to get where I am. Um, and you're part of that story, right? You're part of my story. So I just wanted to say, you know, it is it is a true honor.
1: Well, that's why we do it. That, that feels great. Thank you so much for saying that.
0: Yeah, no worries. All right, enough of the man crush. Man crush Mondays, we're <laughs> over. We can move on. <laughs> so, you know, Facebook AI, right? Is of course doing some of the most amazing stuff in the world right now in, in the field of AI, right? So, but let's take a step back. Let's Let's go back to your beginnings. So you know, how did you get started not only in the field of AI, uh, but just how did you get started on your journey?
1: Gotcha. Uh, I've always loved programming. The the reason I got into programming, there was this old video game called Runescape. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but uh, my cousin kept beating me and winning, and I figured out that you could, you know, write some some clever little bots in Java that would analyze the pixels on the screen and automate certain actions and. That was my, my start in programming. And then uh, I actually went to school studying physics. And I was working at NASA as an intern uh, at NASA Langley and then NASA Ames. And I found out physicists don't really make any money. Uh, it's, it's a pretty thankless career. I, I mean, it's a, it's a really hard job with a lot of math. And no one really appreciates you when things work. They only just want to yell at you when things go wrong. Kind of like DevOps. And uh, what happened was uh, I ended up using a lot of Python in that job. And I realized, you know, these, these programming interns, they were making like nine grand a week or something insane like that. And I was over here making pennies compared to that. And I was like, I can write Python. So I went on LinkedIn and I changed my title to a software engineer and uh, went back to school. And a couple days later, Uh, I was chatting with uh, Elliot Horowitz, who started TenGen, uh, which most people probably know as MongoDB. And uh, I dropped out of school to go join MongoDB. And I remember my cover letter for him said, uh, we'll code for food. And it was a great job. I loved it. We we were early customers of AWS then. And so we got to see a lot of stuff get added to AWS. I, I don't know how many uh people remember like way back when there was before before gp2 volumes and ssds and everything you had instant storage and you had uh you know different kinds of evs volumes i, I remember when evs came out there, there was a lot of good fun back then and building all kinds of tools one of the fun tools we built was uh using spot for jenkins so uh, Jenkins is a CI CD system and spot is a type of instance you can use to to get some some cheap hardware and then I was at Mongo for a long time uh, and then I joined AWS and worked there for about a week and then I found out I got a job at SpaceX so I went over to SpaceX for a year and was part of the first rocket landing uh, that was really really fun and really cool Also, didn't really sleep for a year while I was working there, so decided I might find some more work-life harmony if I came back to AWS. I was at AWS for a very long time after that and did a bunch of fun stuff. Really, really great job. Really cool people, tons of amazing customers, really cool stuff to do there. And uh, in August of last year, I decided that I'd been out Kind of evangelizing and talking for a long time, and it was time for me to get some more hands-on keyboard experience. So I moved over here to Facebook, and uh, since then I've been working on PyTorch pretty much full-time and a couple of other open-source projects. And yeah, it's it's been a really fun role so far. I, I I'm a really big fan of PyTorch. I think it's it's going places.
0: Yeah, for sure. I agree, and that's a that's a fantastic story. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's actually quite a contrast from, from our previous guest we had on, uh, his name was Joe Davison. and, uh, he works with hugging face. He's a research engineer, yeah. hugging face. And, you know, he went to Harvard, right. He, he went to MIT for some courses, right. Um, he's very established academically. Right. And, uh, you're, you know, you have a, a, the, the story that's, you know, very contrasting to that in the sense that, you know, and you're not in a negative way or anything like that, but you're saying, you know, there's different paths that you can take. To become successful because you are extremely successful and as so is he and you know it, it doesn't always uh you know have to be that kind of cut and dry go to school you know get your phd so have it right so uh no that's a, it's an incredible story
1: yeah i don't know about the extremely successful part but i'll get whatever <laughs> i can get one of the things that's important to note there is you know i i, I come from a pretty High position of privilege, right? Like I'm, I'm a a young white male who was able to kind of send an email and get a job. That's that's not true of everybody. So I I think the college path makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. So yeah. I mean I don't I don't want to discourage people from taking that path. Like you said, there are a bunch of different valid paths. The one thing I think everyone needs though, you kind of need a solid understanding of linear, discrete, calc, um, those kind of mathematical concepts if you want to get involved in AI. Uh, without those, you, you know, you can have a, a a high level understanding of how things are working, but you'll never feel too comfortable going down into the uh, the details. So mm-hmm. once you want to go down into the details, there's some good courses. I think Khan Academy has a, a pretty solid course on linear algebra, and then there's a YouTube channel. Um, I forget the the person's name, but Grant San- I think it's Grant Sanderson or something like that. Uh, the YouTube channel is Three blue, one brown, and they, he has a great series on neural networks and how they work and and how they're organized.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, and that uh, that underlying math is uh, is you know 100 accurate. And I like how you said you you'll know, you'll never actually feel too comfortable, and uh, I think that just goes with goes with me personally too. I just, you never feel too comfortable. It's kind of that imposter syndrome, right? You kind of work your way through things and you're like, "Ah, I still, you know, I'm not too comfortable.
1: (laughs) Well, I I feel that way every day. I mean, I'm surrounded by some of the smartest people I've ever worked with and I constantly use the wrong words. You know, I, 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 half the time I can't figure out the difference between, you know, just throwing a bunch of models together and then calling them an ensemble model. And I, I have people correcting my vocabulary all the time. So, I'm definitely an imposter, but I, I think the the area that I kind of focus on is how you deploy these models in production and how you measure them and, and how you get inferences kind of uh, quickly and efficiently and, and how you can let more people deploy more models more easily. Uh, I, I'm not the person who goes and comes up with these brilliant techniques. I read the yeah. papers and I steal the techniques, but I,
0: I'm not <laughs> coming up with any of them. I like that. No, that's great. Um, and you've been in the game a long time, right? I mean, you were—I remember back, back years ago—you were doing, you know, live coding sessions on uh, SageMaker, and you know, before SageMaker was a thing. And if anyone doesn't know what SageMaker is, SageMaker is kind of AWS's flagship offering now for AI/ML, right? And uh, you were—you were doing, you know, deep learning on SageMaker years and years ago when it first got released. So, yeah, absolutely, you've been—you've been playing with it uh, for for a long time now, right?
1: Yeah. I love SageMaker. I, I, I know there are mixed feelings, I guess, in the AI community about each of these cloud platforms and, and Google Colab or, or Azure Notebooks and, and, and AWS SageMaker. I just, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I think SageMaker did right was they open sourced the SDK and they built almost everything on top of Docker. So I, there are things that do similar stuff now, things like Kubeflow or, or MLflow. And and they kind of came around at the same time as SageMaker. But the fact that SageMaker had this nice integration with AWS made it a little bit easier to work with. And you know the reason I got involved with all that, actually, I broke my leg in, I think, 2016 and 2017. And I, I before that, I was doing a lot of, Kind of international travel and speaking, and I didn't really want to take a plane with my leg all messed up. So, I uh, I started that Twitch channel, and I said, you know, let me find all the really smart people involved in AI and have them come teach me AI live on Twitch, and I can make a fool of myself. And that ended up being one of the best ideas in my career because I picked up a bunch of new skills, learned from a bunch of really smart people, and got to build a bunch of really random and cool kind of demos.
0: Yeah, no, those uh, uh, Twitch sessions were were legendary. They really were.
1: <laughs> I miss it. I miss it.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's talk about your current role within Facebook AI, right? So your official title is a developer advocate, right? Uh, talk us through exactly what that is.
1: Yeah, so a developer advocate's role has two primary functions. The first function is kind of the outbound, which is the evangelism and and educational and pedagogical components, which are uh, teaching, training, uh, creating demos, inspiring. uh, if If you're doing a really good job, you're inspiring and you're bringing people in. And then the second primary function is listening, so staying tuned into the community, not just on a particular project like PyTorch, but also looking at the AI community as a whole, and seeing what things are happening. And so that involves reading papers and, you know, hanging out at at different meetups and events and just listening and hearing where things are moving, where the interest is, what the kind of chief concerns are that people have with deploying their AI or training their AI and what new use cases there are.
0: Uh, it sounds uh, sounds interesting for sure. I mean, people hear Facebook AI, right? And they I'm sure a lot of people it, it, me personally, they think, "Oh, wow, like what a company to be part of," right? So, would you say it's, you know, a big change from what you were doing previously with AWS? I would say it is.
1: So my my last year at AWS, I actually switched back to a software engineering role uh, and started working on a an engineering team. So I, I moved away from the developer advocacy side to focus a little bit more on on getting my developer chops back in shape. It was a very cool, interesting kind of role, but there there's there's something about the current advent of cloud machine learning and hardware acceleration that is very exciting that as much as I love AWS and as much as I love working in the cloud space, this was a more exciting area even than that because we're, we're really starting to approach the point where we can build better than what a human could possibly do, not just in a timing perspective because of course hardware and software it executes more quickly than a human does. I think we we operate at, what, you know, 0.1 instructions per second. Meanwhile, these computers are doing billions of parallel instructions per second, uh, or even teraflops. And that, combined with some of the the new techniques that are coming out within AI, it makes it a very exciting time to be a part of, of something like this. And, you know, Facebook AI has a, has a number of really talented and... and diverse researchers who are, are working on a pretty broad set of problems and ideas. And I I can't contribute to those because I you know I'm not a I, I don't have a PhD. I'm I'm not a, a crazy super smart model engineer. But one of the things that I enjoy is that I get to focus on the open source tools. And these tools are are things that we would use internally that we think are going to be helpful for the community at large. So we end up open sourcing them. And one of the great things about PyTorch is it's you know Facebook is just one of many many contributors. So uh, the there's a huge amount of of work that comes from uh, large partners, people like NVIDIA or, or AWS or uh, even you, you know just Google and all kinds of contributors from larger companies. But even then, there there are academics as well, so people from Cornell or, or elsewhere who are coming and adding in new features and large components of PyTorch even get built out and proposed by the community uh, with, with relatively little involvement from our side. And I think the breadth and depth of contributions in PyTorch is something that I haven't seen in a really long time. I, I mean, one of the reasons that I loved MongoDB was it was this great open source project that had this tremendous community around it. And, and I really see PyTorch starting, you know, it is already, in that space. And uh, you know, I, I would say for anyone who's out there in the industry and you are not feeling particularly inspired by your project, if you want to feel inspired, like j- join a community like this, because mm-hmm. once you're in this, this open source development regime, there's just so much fun stuff happening. There's never a dull moment. You, you always have something you can be working on and thinking about. It's, it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. And I think you, you hit it there by saying the word inspiring, right? Inspiration. I think just speaking to you now it seems like you know the inspiration to make that move uh, over to facebook ai is kind of you know th- that that drive was you know exactly what you wanted it to be really right yes and and you know you you
1: can spend a lot of time at one company and you can absorb as much information as you can from them and yeah. you'll notice th- there's like a trend you know like the 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 amount of information you're learning in a given unit of time just starts to decline And once that curve starts going in that direction, uh, you might want to consider a move, you know, go somewhere where you can pick up some new skills and some new knowledge, uh, especially if you're early on in your career, later in your career, you know, there, there are other things that are at play, but early on. Yeah. uh, I think, I think trying to get as much information from as many different places as possible is a great move.
0: Yeah. And I think feeling challenged, right. Always feeling challenged, I think is something for me personally is, is something that's big because if you stop, you know, you, you stop feeling that, that, you know the feeling of being challenged. Then you kind of just become stagnant, right? You kind of just sit still and always be challenged and always be reaching for something more. But, anyways, I'll, I'll move on now to PyTorch itself, right? Like you had mentioned, your focus from within Facebook AI is PyTorch, right? I'm a big fan of PyTorch. So, you know, what exactly are you focused on uh, within PyTorch? Well, it's a it's a broad set of things.
1: So, so PyTorch. <laughs> for those who who don't know is is kind of a continuation and a combination of a number of different ai frameworks and projects from from for many years ago and one of the things that sort of sets it apart sets it apart from from other frameworks things that might be you know symbolic things like mxnet or or kind of the original versions of tensorflow is you're really executing code uh the, you know, normally models are stored in some sort of compute optimized format and then you you load weights and, and, and biases and things like that into that model that, that then executes. So one of the interesting things about PyTorch is there's a JIT, a just-in-time um, kind of compiler that allows you to go and run Python code like you, you would normally run elsewhere. And this really accelerates the the, Pipeline from research to production, and that's that's always been an issue. I think is is taking a model that works theoretically in in a paper at NeurIPS or something like that, and bringing it into something that can run in production has always been difficult. And I'm not saying PyTorch has completely solved it. That's not what I'm trying to you know I, I'm not. I'm not a salesperson. If you end up using PyTorch because of this, that's great. But if you if you want to keep using TensorFlow or Keras or whatever, please be my guest. I'm, I'm not trying to push this on anybody. But the the advantage of of being able to take you know your normal Python code that you'd have in a Jupyter notebook and say, okay, let me turn this into uh, a model that will run on Android or a model that will run on CUDA or, or a model that will run on you know iOS. That is very powerful and PyTorch runs a lot of things now. I mean, their are customers, users like Tesla who build their self-driving software on uh, PyTorch, and then Lyft, um, th- just a, a whole lot of really, really cool use cases. In terms of what I work on, uh, well, I got my start by adding a couple of new operators into PyTorch. So one of the big pushes that we recently had was on NumPy compatibility. NumPy is a, is a great little Python framework that a lot of people are very familiar with and use for numerical computing and analysis. And we wanted to have a, an API compatibility layer with NumPy uh, since that's what a lot of people are already using anyway. So I worked on a couple of operators for NumPy compatibility. Then I kind of moved over to focus on the production side. So how do we store and uh, serve PyTorch models? And there are projects like TorchServe, which are built in collaboration with AWS. So if you use SageMaker, you're using TorchServe and PyTorch. Um, And then from there, we've we've started a contributors access channel. So if you go to devdiscuss.pytorch.org, there's uh, a nice little channel where you can read about the the RFCs and and the proposals and the ideas, things that the PyTorch uh, core contributors are, are discussing and trying to figure out. Hey, what's the next big thing? How can we make this easier? And uh, then I'm doing a bunch of docs and a bunch of release engineering and all kinds of other fun kind of housekeeping activities that are necessary for getting the project into good
0: shape. Nice. So you're you're involved in a lot then a lot of, a lot of different aspects of, of PyTorch you're involved in.
1: Yes, and you know I I say I'm involved, but a, a lot of other people are doing a <laughs> lot of hard work. So so please. No one should see this as me saying like, you know, I, I run the show or anything like that. I, d- I don't at all.
0: He's the boss. You heard it here first. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. So you also, uh, you, you, I think you had mentioned that you're working on uh, the new branch of PyTorch as well, right?
1: Yes. We have the 1.8 release. It's, uh, hopefully coming out March 4th timeframe. Uh, there are a lot of cool new features in that in, you know, you can, you can go and check out the branch yourself. You can see what's in the release candidate and all kinds of things.
0: Perfect. We look forward to it. So, I mean, one of the things that I think is is a common misconception, right, is that, you know, PyTorch is for, for research, TensorFlow is for production, right? Maybe that that has kind of gone away a bit now, but I think it still exists in a way. So, you know, what do you have to say for that?
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of a, uh, an idea that gained some popularity back in say twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, but I would not hold it to be true today. Uh, I, I think it speaks volumes that you know TensorFlow had TensorFlow changed to PyTorch's model of execution, this eager mode execution almost. And that's a that's that's a strong sign that that PyTorch is moving in the right direction. And there are a lot of other great frameworks out there that you can do a training in. Uh, I will say on the PyTorch side, we're starting to make some or have for a while now been making some pretty serious investments into production. So how can we make it as easy as possible in a tool agnostic, platform agnostic, cloud agnostic way for people to go out and deploy their models and run them in the most accelerated best way they can? Uh, and that involves partnering with a bunch of different hardware vendors, everything from AMD, Intel, and NVIDIA to, you know, even, even smaller platform vendors, uh, hardware vendors. And uh, if, you're, if you're interested in this, Edward Yang wrote a really great post a while back on the dispatch mechanism within PyTorch. So the dispatch mechanism says, hey, you want to do a matrix convolution that's the operator that your your network has said is the next step here. So before I do that, let me look up what you know hardware and platform I'm on in this table. And then I'm going to use the most accelerated form of that instruction that I possibly can on the hardware that's available to me. And that's a pretty nifty little tool. And then there's there's Torch lib, which is just the C kind of library for executing PyTorch. that's what really powers some of the the mobile models and things like that. And that makes it very easy to make very fast, uh, solid kind of production inferences. And it works, you know, without a ton of coding or anything, you know, it's, it's very similar API to just regular PyTorch. And then, you know, the mobile models, that's a whole new world, uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff happening there and you know if you're if you're using an iPhone you know you've probably used a Pytorch model at some point and uh, I'm sure you've seen some of the the face transforms and all that good stuff so it's definitely used in production in a lot of places
0: yeah absolutely I think that's that that's a misconception that's kind of getting cleared up now but you know uh, back then as you said 2017 eighteen it was pretty that was pretty uh, apparent uh, from, from, from the community perspective on on what they thought of PyTorch, right? So it's great to hear your opinion on that. Yeah. So let's get into Facebook AI as a company, right? I know you're, you're focused on PyTorch, right? But Facebook AI is a company, right? You know, Facebook AI is doing some, some of the most amazing things in the world of AI, right, right now. Um, And, you know, some of the things that Facebook AI is in is, you know, COVID-19 forecasting, right? To, you know, Fast Text for, for classification or Detectron 2 and Dense Pose, right? So for, for computer vision, right? And, um, you know, when I first came across Detectron 2, you know, I guess it was when it first came out, I think it was the fall of 2019, um, you know, I spent a whole weekend playing with Detectron 2. It's just a fantastic, uh, it's a fantastic thing to play with. Um, and... I, I know that, as I said, you're focused on PyTorch, but I wanted to see, is there anything that you want to highlight that is new and exciting going on in, 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 the, in the world of Facebook AI?
1: I mean, the, the, the amount of work that, that FAIR, the, the Facebook AI research team does is, is pretty phenomenal. And it, it's, I don't think a single human is going to be able to keep up with all the great stuff coming out. But mm-hmm. one of the things that came out recently that I really like is this thing called in NB, uh, breath which is a neural based decompiler framework. So if you take an executable and, and you want to kind of figure out what exactly is happening and, and do some sort of static assembly for, or, uh static analysis, for example, uh, you you often have to use some some weird tool chains to, to be able to figure out what the underlying code was. And uh, I just, I, I don't know exactly how this might get used but this neural decompiler is very interesting because it it kind of if you think about what it could be you know how it could end up working you could imagine taking a c plus executable and and turning it into you know some other language Mm -hmm. and there's, there's a lot of cool research along there. There's been some work that was done with NYU Langham on uh, COVID-19 diagnoses. There's uh, a lot of translation work around uh, speech data sets and how you can do um, speech recognition in multiple languages and, and translation. There's uh, other kinds of work in, in video. And uh, there's there's also some very important work in the space of responsible AI so privacy respecting AI AI that is uh making the right sorts of decisions in terms of uh not underrepresenting people or 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 kind of classes of community and making sure you're not doing the wrong thing with AI and that's that's a non-trivial problem to solve. And one of the most important parts there is is the tooling. So I think some of the open source tooling around responsible AI is very important and that work should continue.
0: Yeah, that's that's fantastic because, you know, you hear a lot about, well, you probably need to hear more about the ethics of AI, but you don't really hear much about the tooling behind it. So I'm glad that you, you pointed that out for sure. So let's talk about some of the, you know, Awesome real life use cases, you know, actual business value use cases that people may or may not know. Uh, you know, PyTorch is behind. Now you mentioned, you know, as an example, you know, Tesla. You mentioned, you know, the iPhone. Um, you know, people might not have realized that you know, PyTorch is underneath these things, right? Um, is there anything else that you that jumps out at you that uh, you know people may not realize that that is PyTorch is behind? Uh I, I mean, I think the Tesla self-driving car is pretty cool. There, we, we have a blog
1: where we chat with, you know, people who are using PyTorch in uh, production. Mm-hmm. And we, we cover a lot of different companies that are, are using PyTorch. And one of the things that we try and do in that blog is we try and make it as, as technical as possible. There's obviously, you know, there's, there's some marketing posts that go out uh, around, you know, this use case, that use case. But I like the, the the ones that I enjoy reading are the ones that are a little bit more, you know, that show us some code. Um, if you just search for PyTorch in Medium, you should be able to find the blog. Um, there's uh, a bunch of just really really interesting stuff that comes out from there, and uh, everything from self drive. You know, there's no one particular company that comes to mind. I, I don't want to call anybody out, you know, but everything from self driving to ads to uh, Making decisions on whether or not you should, uh, you know, move forward with some business deal. You, you know, PyTorch gets involved in a lot of different things there. Uh, surgical intelligence, so like doctors who are performing surgery. There's there's platforms that are powered by uh, PyTorch that that will say, you know, what what's the risk here? Uh, what's the imaging? You know, how can we train? Stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's incredible to, you know, to know exactly how far that reach is of PyTorch, right? Because a lot of people just don't realize it, right? So it's nice to to have people point out specific examples, specific examples of people that are making money using PyTorch as well, right? Um, You know, it boils down to money a lot of the time. So um, it's nice to hear that for sure.
1: And and that's another good point. Is there are a ton of tools that are built on top of PyTorch? You know, you have things like PyTorch Lightning or or uh, whole whole sets of libraries that use PyTorch as kind of the the base mechanism, and then they go off and do some domain specific stuff. So, uh, I mean, every everything from you know farming, even you know, I there, we just published a post on a uh, a company called Wadwani that uses PyTorch to m- kind of help cotton farmers. Um, So, yeah, and, and, you know, drug discovery. Like, I I can think of a thousand different use cases.
0: Perfect. Now, what would you say is the best way someone can get started with PyTorch today?
1: Uh, So the best way to get started with PyTorch, strongly recommend going to PyTorch.org. There's a a big button on the front of the page that just says install. That'll help you get, you know, rolling locally if you want. Uh, Google CoLab is great. There's, uh, in AWS, you can start up a SageMaker studio and have access to PyTorch. Uh, I'm sure Azure has some some resources available as well. Uh, if you go over to the docs, there's a whole kind of tutorial section. So if you just pytorch.org slash tutorials, uh, there's a section on the website called Learn the Basics. And that was some work that we, we did with Microsoft on kind of coming up with a, a really solid way of teaching not just necessarily PyTorch, but also some of the basics of AI. And I recommend that. Uh, There's a little bit of an older tutorial called the 60 Minute Blitz, which will take you from, you know, not knowing anything with PyTorch to knowing a lot about it within 60 minutes or less. And then if you're interested in learning how to do something specific with PyTorch, there's a recipes section. That recipes section has a ton of stuff that, you know, more than I could ever enumerate and list here, things to consider. Uh, And then there's also fast AI. So there's a great course uh, from the fast AI folks that you can follow, Jeremy Howard and and that whole crew that can get you going with PyTorch pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, The fast AI AI crew is uh, fantastic. Uh, We we were chatting with Jeremy Howard not too long ago, actually. Um, And it was, uh, you know, he's a fascinating guy. And uh, that was one of the highlights of my career too. So yeah absolutely agree. So uh, I guess my I have a couple questions before we let you go. I kind of I kind of have a couple questions that I ask every guest, right? So real you know real condensed. I know this can be a, a loaded question, but you know what is the number one piece of advice you have for someone looking to get into a similar career path than you uh, or even just say deep learning in general? Great.
1: Uh, Hands- on keyboard experience is important. Don't stay stuck in the theory. don't don't spend all day studying the math alone. Uh, you know really really get some time and some model training under your belt so that you can see what weird little data manipulations have to happen to make stuff work. And then the the thing that almost everyone overlooks is data manipulation. So learning the tool chains for getting your data, into shape is just so important, whether it's Hadoop or Spark or, you, you know, just using a, a pipe and an unzip command, you know, being able to manipulate data quickly and efficiently is the most useful skill you can have that's going to set you apart from everyone else.
0: Yep, yeah, I agree that the data processing, data normalization, that'll get you every time, right? Oh, yeah. All right, so my second question is, and again, you know, I'm not trying to... Get you to go, uh, you know, you could probably go on forever on this. But kind of just what jumps out to you the most is what does AI mean for you, right? And I don't mean in a in a literal sense or the definition of AI. I mean, you know, what does it mean for you, you know, from a from a feeling perspective? I think it's an opportunity to make
1: the the world that we see in science fiction real. So Closing the gap between what we see in science fiction, the you know, the positive science fiction and and reality is something that's very interesting to me. And, you know, progress doesn't happen without people really putting in effort and, and research. So that that's kind of why I see AI as being valuable. It's, it, it drives a, a pretty positive outcome in a lot of lives. I like that.
0: I like that. Closing the gap between science fiction and reality. I like that. Well, you, you said keep it short, so I was trying to come up with something <laughs> yeah. high level and profound. No, I loved it. I loved it absolutely. I mean, I mean if,
1: if you want to, if you want to be, you know, blunt in, in a little lower level, you know, AI does mean a higher salary. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, yeah, we we we've said that a few times in this episode, right? We talked about money. Money is money does uh, make a lot of things. You know, money makes the world go round, right? So, um, no, I like that. That's that's honesty too. That's perfect. So before we wrap, I do have, I do have one more question for you, right? So, you know, you can give me some advice, right? You're an avid tweeter, right? You know, I'm, I'm brand new to Twitter. You're pushing like 20 K followers. I have about 16 followers, right? It's, 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 not, it's, it's, it's actually a sad, sad state. I did just sign up though. So, you know, w- give me some advice. How do I pick up my Twitter game? How do I get big time? Like you?
1: Uh, I don't think that I'm big time, but the easiest way to gain followers, uh, I wrote a bot a long time ago that would follow people, and then it gives them a notification that you just got followed by somebody and prompts them to follow you back. So you can write a bot and abuse the Twitter API. Uh, The other thing to do is whenever you're out speaking, whenever you're, you're closing out a program like the one we're having today, you always want to plug your Twitter handle. And then it's just sharing genuine thoughts and content that you think are going to be useful. And a lot of people forget Twitter isn't just text. You know, you can put videos on there. You can put sound on there, GIFs. You can do tweet threads that show uh, uh, a whole bunch of really solid content. So just keep making good stuff. Keep plugging your Twitter handle, and it's a slow, organic, nice growth. And don't pay Twitter for ads
0: is is another thing I'll say because they don't really work. That's great advice. I especially like the manipulating the system one. I, I like that. All right, Randall, it's been an absolute blast. A real honor for me, as I said, as we started off the top to have you on today. I won't get all gushy again. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and share your story and talk about PyTorch and Facebook AI. And you know, thanks for the Twitter tips again. Right, I'll see. I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. How the, how my how my Twitter game improves over time, or if it does at all.
1: Well, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous medium, but thank you so much for having me on, Mark, and I uh, look forward to chatting again soon. And uh, good luck with the show. Appreciate it.
0: So instead of highlighting a specific cool app built with PyTorch, I wanted to take the time to share a couple of great resources for learning PyTorch and deep learning in general. First, there's a great course out there that was put on by NYU in the spring of 2020 called Deep Learning with PyTorch. Uh, it is actually being put on every spring, I believe, but in the 2020 version is the latest complete version of the course. It is taught by Yan LeCun, who is one of the pioneers of deep learning and extremely well-respected and regarded in the field. And he is also affiliated with Facebook IAI. As well as the TAs are Alfredo Canziani and Mark Goldstein. Uh, Alfredo in particular has an absolutely brilliant teaching style. He mixes in humor, uh, he swears from time to time in his lectures, and he keeps things really light and fun. I highly recommend this course for anyone interested in getting to learn more about PyTorch and deep learning. There's another fantastic resource for learning PyTorch and deep learning out there that I wanted to highlight as well. Uh, It is called STAT453, Introduction to Deep Learning and Generative Models, which is ongoing. Uh, It's currently ongoing, spring 2021. Uh, It is a course through UW-Madison and is, again, freely available on YouTube. Uh, Of course, you cannot fully take part in it to get academic credit, but you can essentially audit it and take all the lectures and have access to the GitHub. Uh, It is taught by another fantastic teacher in Sebastian Ratchka, who is uh, an assistant professor at UW-Madison and also a best-selling author of a fantastic book called Python Machine Learning. This course is also taught with PyTorch as the library behind the deep learning. All right, amazing to have someone on whom I've admired for years and great insights from Randall on PyTorch and the evolution and future of that library. To get started using or playing with PyTorch, I encourage you to go to the PyTorch docs and PyTorch tutorials at PyTorch.org. They have a fantastic uh, wealth of information and resources on that site, and a great community, as I mentioned, to, uh, to back that all up. All right, as always, it's been a pleasure. And until next month, stay tuned, everyone, and we will continue to explore how AI can help you.